Dear Holy Father, thank you so much for being here with us. And Lord, we know that it is your heart's desire that we um, just cooperate with you and your spirit and that which is a burden on your heart. And so, Lord, I pray right now that we would feel your presence in a very real way. Lord, just take control of my, my thoughts, my mind. I ask, dear Lord, that you would give me words to speak that come from your very throne. And Lord, give us ears to hear and hearts that are open for that which you have for each one of us. And all God's people said, amen. Now, I did not have, oops, I did not have the privilege of being raised a Seventh-day Adventist. I had the privilege, however, at the age of 22 to meet a very young Mark Finley. This was back years ago in Chicago. In fact, I didn't even know what a Seventh-day Adventist was as late as 1979. And Mark and Tini, they were young. They were just trailblazing in an evangelism. They had convinced the Illinois Conference president to put money into evangelism because, do you know, as late as 79, there was no real Adventist presence on the south side of Chicago. And so when they came, they began doing pre-work. They were knocking on people's doors. They were doing evangelistic series. And my boyfriend at that time, who's now my husband, he decided that this was something that he needed in his life. And so it was not even two weeks when we started dating that he started dragging me to a Revelation seminar. Now, you have to understand, back then, do you remember James Jones? You know that whole thing in Guyana, Africa? Do you remember how they were, it was like this cult and they were drinking Kool-Aid to kill themselves, right? When I went to the library to look up Seventh Avenue, what do you think they said about Seventh Avenue? Cult. I was scared to death going to these meetings, okay? And so I went to these meetings and all I knew was that people were kept asking me to, do, to, to, to join in something called a fellowship meal. And my, my boyfriend wanted to go with me, or wanted me to go, so I, kept, so I, I went and I thought, okay, fine, but if they give me something to drink, I am not drinking it. <laughs> Long and the short of it. Well, I thought there was something weird with these people because they were so friendly. Hi, God bless you. Come on in. Okay, sister. You know, back off, right? Didn't know what was going on. But you know, there is something about when Mark preaches, you feel and sense the Holy Spirit. Amen. And when I, as a Catholic, learned the truth about Christ and the gospel and, 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 the, and salvation, I knew that God was leading me to the Seventh-day Adventist church. Now, I have to tell you, it took me three years kicking and screaming into this church. But I knew once I made a commitment, that was it. It was for life. I, that's one thing I will always say. And so when I joined the church, can you believe, I mean, you guys see me now, I'm, I'm very outgoing. But back then when I was baptized in 1982, it's been 30 years, yes, I can't believe it, I'll tell you, I was too nervous to give my testimony. Think about this. As a Catholic, you're not used to adult baptisms. It almost feels like you're in church um, wearing your jammies in a bathtub with a bunch of strangers. Okay, that's what it felt like. And so Mark kept asking me to get baptized, and I was a little nervous. And then finally he said, well, if Mark goes in the tub with you, will you get baptized? And I'm like, oh, sure, then I will. Do you want to see a very young Mark Finley? Check this out. <laughs> Maybe you can turn off one. In fact, I would. Can you t- turn off some of these lights? Because we're going to be doing this PowerPoint anyway. 
Are, are there lights around here, lights, camera, action? Maybe they're over here. Can someone turn those lights off over there, Barb? Barbara is my handy assistant. Say hello, Barbara. <laughs> um, and so I actually was too nervous to give my own testimony. My boyfriend, who unfortunately my husband is not here, his back went out, and so he um, couldn't accompany me over here. But um, anyway, he actually gave my testimony. Three months later, we were married in the Hinsdale Seventh, oh, that's much better. We were married in the Hinsdale Seventh Avenue Church. Are you familiar with Hinsdale? Amen. Amen. And so it was beautiful. We had a beautiful wedding. And I want to tell you, if, they, if someone would have told me years ago that you would be doing Bible work, I would say, you are out of your mind. But you know, Jesus can be very bossy sometimes. Is that right? And when he gives you his, the marching orders, I want to tell you, you listen. I'm going to bring you to a quote, and you're all familiar with it. Matthew 11:28 28 and 30. We've all heard it before. Come to me, Jesus says, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How many of you feel that that's a precious promise? I do too, but let me tell you a secret. I did not understand what this meant. I thought when I read this that Jesus was going to come alongside me and that he was going to help with my burdens. He was going to help with my projects. He was going to help plow my field. Do you know what I'm saying? But guess what? It's just the opposite. When he tells you to yoke together with him, I had it backwards. He says no. It's not about your field being plowed. It's not about your projects being done. It's not about your burdens. It's about my burdens. It's about my field. It's for my glory. And I realized until just recently that when he is trying to put, when he is trying to yoke up with me, I am trying to, to tear away because I'm concentrating on my life and my burdens and my projects. Do you see what I'm saying? And I am missing the peace and the rest that he wants to give me because I had no idea that when I allow myself to be caught up, swallowed up in his will, in his work, that's when the real peace and the joy comes. And let me ask you, brothers and sisters, what is his burden? Amen. The burden, his burden on his heart is souls. He has been waiting at the altar. Those flowers have been long wilted for our church. Do you know what I'm telling you? And you know what? What he has taught me through the years on how to do this work is completely different than you're going to hear on any other evangelistic seminar. I, when I sensed that he was leading me to this work, I got on my face before him and I said, God, I don't know how to do this work. Please, you show me how I'm supposed to do this work. And I want to tell you, you're going to hear miracle stories this afternoon. He showed me how he wants his work to be done. And I want to tell you, it is a joy. It is super easy. It is practical. It is wonderful. So would you like to hear the secrets this afternoon? Yes. Amen. Okay. What drew such an emotional response from the people? In Luke 24, 32, his disciples said, were not our hearts burn 
communing within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. What is he referring to? He was referring to, these. this is the Emmaus Road experience. Remember, Jesus had died, been crucified, and had risen again. And his two disciples were on the road to Emmaus, and we didn't know, and they didn't know, well, we don't know what he looked like. They were kept from recognizing him. But what we do know is that he went up to them and says, what are you talking about? And they said, what, are you just a stranger here? You don't know what's been going on? And he said, what? He said, Jesus of Nazareth, he died, and now we can't find the body. And do you remember what, they, what Jesus said? Oh, you who are slow. And then he said, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning what? Himself. And what was the heart response to that Bible study concerning himself? Their hearts were what? Burning within them. Burning. Let's take another one. In Acts 2.37, look at the heart response to this. When the people heard this, they were cut to the what? Heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? This is the response to that Pentecost sermon. And who was the chief subject in that sermon? Jesus. The preaching of Christ and him crucified is the only thing that will touch hearts. You can teach about doctrine. You can teach about the state of the dead. And you know what? It's an intellectual um, ascent to those things. But in order for it to go from in order for it to go from the Bible to here to here and come out there. You have to be touched, and the only thing that's going to touch your heart is the lifting up of Jesus Christ and him crucified for you. Amen? In Desire of Ages, page 826, it says, The wonderful love of Christ will melt and subdue hearts when the mere reiteration of doctrines would accomplish how much? Nothing. Evangelism 187, bear with a certain voice an affirmative message, lift him up, the man of Calvary, higher and still higher, there is what? Power and the exaltation of the cross of Christ. Our message are three angels. Now these three angels do not come all at once. They come in sequential order. The first one, then the second one, and then the third one. If, and what is the message of the first angel? And that's right. And what is it? It's the message of the everlasting. Can you say it a little bit louder? The everlasting gospel. Do you think that it's a coincidence that the first angel comes with the gospel message of Jesus Christ? The gospel must be presented first as a foundation on which all of our beautiful doctrines uh, build upon. Amen? Do people need to come to Christ first? If they don't come to Christ first, what happens? Are they going to be out the back door? Very soon, very soon. You know, it says the message of Christ's righteousness is to sound from one end of the earth to the other to do what? Prepare the way of the Lord. This is the glory of God which closes the work of the third angel. Is this message of Christ's righteousness important? Why? What does it do? It prepares the way of the Lord. Is that not exciting to you? Amen. If this message is so powerful that it prepares for the second coming of Christ, should we be sharing this with the world? Amen. Amen. Should we be sharing it with our church? Amen. Amen. The last rays of merciful light is the, uh, the last message of mercy to be given to the world is a revelation of the Sabbath, right? Is that what it says, the Sabbath? 
What does it say? The last rays of merciful light, the last message of mercy to be given to the world is a revelation of his character of love. Do you know, we've just passed seven billion people in the world. And do you know a third of them are atheists? If you were to ask an atheist, I know you don't believe in God, but if you did, can you tell me what he would be like? You would hear the most horrible explanation and description of God you'd ever hear. I just went last night, I just blew into town yesterday, I went up the block to Izzy's. Have you guys heard of Izzy's? It's a Jewish deli over there. They have vegetarian Rubens, okay? Just to let you know, just FYI. So I went up there, and the guy says, oh, you heard the, I said, he's like, oh, you heard for the convention? I said, yeah, what kind of a convention is it? I said, oh, well, it's a, you know, it's a church convention. Oh, what church? Oh, Seventh-day Adventist. Really? He said, my mother used to be a Seventh-day Adventist until she met my dad, and now she's Catholic. I said, oh, really? And I said, so are you Catholic? He said, yes, I am. And I said, oh, isn't that funny? I used to be Catholic, and now I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. And then he said, well, really? Well, what does your church believe? And I says, well, it's a Protestant um, you know, uh, religion, unlike the Catholic Church. It's more based on the Bible than on um, Catholicism. But you know, we go to church on Saturday, because that's what the Bible teaches. And he goes, huh. He says, well, how often? And he says, so you have mass on Saturday? I said, no, we don't have mass on Saturday. Uh, we, we have communion service four times a year. Only four times a year? I said, yeah. Well, I, and, he, and he says, well, I go to mass three times a week. And I says, wow. He says, yeah, it would be five, except I work so much. Now, this is a 19-year-old kid. I said, wow, so you go to mass three times a week? I said, I used to go when I was a Catholic, um, you know, at Catholic grade school. He says, well, yeah, don't you know? Because if you have sin on your heart and it's unconfessed, it's the Eucharist that takes your sin away. Because otherwise, if you die, you know, you're not going to be in heaven. What kind of a God is that? What kind of a God is that that he worships? You know, it's fear, isn't it? And even atheist, Steve's, Steve's aunt was an atheist. She used to be Catholic, but when a friend of hers had a daughter who had leukemia and she prayed that God would save this, this girl and the girl died, she couldn't reconcile a loving God with this girl dying. And so it was easier for her to believe that there was no God than a God who she could not think of as loving. The whole world is running away from a God that they have no idea how nuts he is about them. Do you realize that? If we don't tell them, who will? Amen? More people than we think are longing to find the way to Christ. Those who preach the last message of mercy should bear in mind that Christ is to be exalted as the sinner's refuge. Many people are sadly ignorant in regard to the plan of salvation. They need more instruction upon this all-important subject than upon any other. How many people are longing to find the way to Christ? How many people need more instruction upon salvation? Do you know when she wrote that? She wrote that in the 1890s. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think people know the gospel more or less than they did in the 1890s? I mean, now you've got Facebook, you've got Twitter, you've got iPads. Do you think people know the, the, the gospel more or less? Much less. And in the 1890s, she said they need more instruction upon this all-important subject. And let me tell you, when you have a series of 25 to 30 Bible studies and you have one Bible study on salvation, it's not enough, brothers and sisters. It's not enough. Because Satan is out there messing with their mind, telling no, no, you're not good enough for this. You need this. You need that. Oh, no. And so, in order to break down prejudice and impenitence, the love of Christ must have a part in every discourse. When the heart is filled with the love of Jesus, this can be presented to the people and it will affect 
hearts. It doesn't say it may affect hearts. It says it will affect hearts. Let me share with you what God began to teach me in regard to this work. I had just, my church at Franktown, Colorado, had decided that I was going to be their part-time Bible worker. Did I have training in Bible work? No. Did I, was I excited to go into Bible work? You know when the church pays you to do Bible work, guess what? They expect results. Do you know that? It's a lot of pressure, isn't it? And so I did not. I, was, I went into this kicking and screaming. But then when I realized that God was putting me in this work, that's when I said, okay, God, you teach me. Well, it was shortly after that that God began to teach me. I had been volunteering at, my, at our church school um, as the volunteer librarian. And church school had just started. And all of the boys and girls were so dejected because soccer season started. And what day do you think that all the soccer tournaments were? Of course, Saturday. But you know, I didn't want anything to come in the way of these kids' relationship with God. So I called the the, um, Castle Rock Soccer Association and I said, I don't know if you guys know anything about Seventh Avenue, but we go to church on Saturday and the kids are tied up with activities there at church, but they'd really want to play soccer. You know, is there any way that they can play? And he said, you know, let me take it to the board. He comes back and he says, I'll tell you what, if you can come up with your own team and you can come up with your own coach, that's easy, that'll be my husband, then you guys can play soccer against the other teams during the week. It'll be the other team's practice games. It'll be your real games. So we told the kids that we're going to start soccer. Oh, my word. They were so excited. They went into the neighborhoods and the highways and the byways, byways, and they had all their neighborhood friends come. We had half Adventist, half non-Adventist. Is that friendship evangelism? Amen. Amen. So we had the soccer team, right? It was so funny. I mean, we had everything from six-year-old girls to 13-year-old boys. They had no idea how to play us. You know, we were playing against 10-year-old girls, 9-year-old boys. And, you know, when we'd win, they'd be so excited, so we'd take them out to Pizza Hut, and then when they would lose, we'd still feel sorry for them, so we'd take them to Country Buffet. We were always taking them out, okay. But what was neat about it is the other moms, the other parents would come along with, and we started to get to know them. That's where I met Kathy. Kathy was going through a painful divorce. She was Catholic. Her background was Catholic. And one thing you need to know about Catholics is we don't know the Bible, You know, we don't know the Bible at all. The other thing about her is she was extremely affluent. Her divorce settlement was $26 million. And so, but when you need, when you have that much money, you still need Jesus, right? Does that fill the hole in your heart? It doesn't. And so one day she came up on the soccer field and she said, my kids would like to come and visit your church. And I said, really? She said, yeah. And I said, why don't you come? Our church is about is at 11 o'clock and come at 11 to quarter till. She said, that's great. So we're all excited. Kathy's coming to church, right? So we visited at the door and she was there and we're like, oh, come on in. And hey, this is such and such. And you know Marianne. So she was real excited. Well, after three times, I thought, my husband said to me, guess what? That's your next Bible study. And so we were really excited. And I thought, what am I going to do? What am I going to give her for a Bible study? And so I was looking through all the manuals and all of the materials. And they were very good Bible studies. But they started talking about Daniel 2 and prophecy. And when you're going through a divorce and you need Jesus, is that what you need? You need Jesus, don't you? And so the night before 
we're gonna start a Bible study. I said to her, hey, we have a women's Bible study that we rotated each other's homes, we bring snacks, it's a lot of fun. Why don't you come? She's like, sure. Would you like to come to my house? We're thinking, sure, we'd love to come to the Taj Mahal, right? (laughs) So that night, I have no idea what I'm gonna give her. I get on my face before God and I say, God, please help me. And I hear a voice and the voice said, go to the computer and write how peace comes only through me. And I thought, are you kidding? I'm not a writer. I've never, never written anything in my life. But I thought, I'm going to be obedient. So I went to the computer, and I just began writing everything that I knew about the Bible. And all of a sudden, things started to flow. God began to talk about how we have a hole in our heart, and we try to fill this hole, this void, this emptiness, with the things that the world gives us. And some of them are good things. I mean, marriage and relationships and children... But if that's all that we think is needed, we are so wrong. And the hole just gets bigger and bigger, and the void keeps getting deeper and deeper. And so Bible study number one was basically that he was designed to fit that void in our hearts. She loved that Bible study. And so I thought, this is a great Bible study, just to tide me over till I find this really great relational set, right? So the next week, I'm looking for more Bible studies, thinking, I need to find something relational that's really going to show the love of Christ to her. And frankly, I I, I didn't find anything. So it's again, it's the night before my next Bible study, and I'm desperate. I have no idea what I'm going to give to her. Again, I fall with my face to the ground. I said, God, please help me. And this time, I heard him say, she doesn't even know why she needs me. She doesn't even understand the sin problem. And you have to know, Catholics do not understand the gospel. We don't understand the sin problem, and we're aching, we're longing to learn about Jesus. You know, half of the world's Christians today are Catholics, and they don't go to church, and they are struggling. And so the second Bible study, when I went to the computer, I want to tell you, everything was flowing. I mean, even illustrations I had never heard before were coming to me. It was amazing. One illustration that he gave me to, to explain to her the sin problem was that there were three people that were shooting at targets outside with a bow and arrow. And one's target, and they were shooting at a target up in the sky. And the first one's arrow went up 75 feet. The second one's 300. The third one's 150. We'd say number two was the winner, right? But what if the target was the sun? Would it really matter how far up our paltry little arrows went? Amen? And so when, you, when, when we compare ourselves with others, we think we're doing okay. But we're, we fall way woefully short of God's standard. Amen? And so after Bible study number two, she says to me, wow, I, I didn't realize this. I, I feel really bad. And I hear myself saying, no, 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 don't, don't feel bad. The next couple Bible studies are going to be such great news. And I think, what next couple Bible studies? I don't even know what I'm talking about, right? The, the third week, Bible study number three, again, I think to myself, okay, God, what are these really great Bible studies? And then he directed me. Now it's time to explain what I did, how I became the second Adam, how I became the new representative of the human race, and I righted what was wrong, and I took the world unto myself, and, I, and through, the Father, through Christ, the Father reconciled the world to himself in Christ. Amen? And what, do you think that was good news to her? 
instead of a God who makes you go to mass, otherwise, if, if God forbid, if you should sin and walk out of the walk across the street and get hit by a Mack truck, too bad. You go to purgatory or hell. She was excited. The next Bible study, the heart of Jesus on the cross, how he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because his feelings felt like he was abandoned. We know in Desire of Ages he couldn't see past the portals of the tomb. And yet, he loved us so much. His feelings told him he was going to go in the ground and never come out. Our Jesus did that for us. She wept at Bible study number four. In fact, you know, do you know that as Seventh-day Adventists, we have a deeper uh, understanding of the gospel than any other religious faith? Do you know that? Why? Because many people think the evangelicals believe that when Jesus died on the cross after six hours, after dying, he went straight up to what? Heaven. Is that a sacrifice for God? They don't realize he was dying the second death, do they? That's why they concentrate on the physical torture, which was awful. But they don't understand the spiritual torture, the, the emotional pain he went through. Amen? Seventh-day Adventist should be foremost in lifting up Jesus to the world. Amen? One interest will prevail. One subject will swallow up every other. Christ, our righteousness. Do you remember the very first vision that was given to our people in the church? 17-year-old kid. The first vision that was given to her was about the Advent people in the narrow path. And, she, and the angel said, look for the Advent people. And she said, what, where? And the angel said, look up higher. And there she sees the people on the path, and the midnight cries in back. And who's in front? Jesus. Do you remember what the angel told Ellen White about our church? She said, as long as the people keep their eyes on Jesus, they will go through. But what did she see in her vision? They were stumbling off the path. I'm not sure this is the right way that we were led. They were looking at others. They were comparing us, and they would fall deep into the world. Should we be keeping our eyes more on Jesus? Should we be lifting up Jesus to the world and to ourselves? Jesus said in John 12, 32, but I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Think about this. Our job is to lift him up. Whose job is it to draw him? His job. He never told us, go and make converts of all people. We can't do that. But what we can do is lift up Jesus so that he can work because it's powerful when he is lifted up. Amen? And in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, Paul said, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why, what, what was going on with that statement? Paul went on his first missionary journey. He went to Greece. He, he, and he prepared so well for this journey. He did his demographics. He studied the culture. He studied the, 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 the people and who they were worshiping. He did his background check. And let me tell you, he was not the rising star of the Sanhedrin for nothing. I mean, he was a brilliant orator, right? So here he, he goes, and of course, it was all full of Greek philosophy back then. So he go, goes and he stands on Mars Hill, where any poet, any philosopher can go and expound. And he begins preaching. You can read it in Acts of the Apostles. He starts preaching science against science, you know, philosophy against philosophy, religion against religion. How many converts did he win? One or two that we know, that is it. That is it, sister. Now, from there, he leaves with his tail be 
between his legs, and he goes to Corinth. One of the most hideous, it was a harbor town. I mean, you think the world is bad now? Well, I think it was just about as bad back then. They had, they had vile religious services, you know, in the temples with prostitutes. I mean, it was vile. He goes in there and he says, this time I'm changing my approach. This time I don't care to know who you worship. I don't care to know your culture. I don't care to know anything about you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Did he win converts in Corinthians? Or Corinth, yes. And of course, that's where we got our... Actually, there were three letters to the Corinthians. One is missing, but we call them one and two. So two letters, okay, to the Corinthians. His approach was just lift up who? Jesus, amen. And daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus. There is someone who does not want this message to go forward, and you know exactly who he is. I'm going to read a startling quote from Spirit of Prophecy. The enemy of man and God is not willing that this truth, justification by faith, also known as righteousness by faith, should be clearly presented, for he knows that if the people receive it fully, his, his power will be what? Broken. Do you want God's power broken in your life? Amen, don't we all? Do you think that there's a reason why Satan works so hard in our churches to get us into controversies? So that we take our eyes off of who? Jesus, amen. The cross draws us to God. Of all professing Christians, Seventh Avenue should be foremost in uplifting Christ before the world, amen? Now, how was it that Paul worked? Was Paul an evangelist? To the Gentiles. Now, who are the Gentiles to us? Those outside of the church, amen? I want you to follow closely. To the Gentiles, Paul preached Christ as their only hope of salvation, but did not have anything definite to say upon the law. But after their hearts were warmed with the presentation of Christ as the gift of God to our world, then he presented the law of God as the test of their obedience. This was the manner of his working, adapting his methods to win souls. The secret to the melting of hearts is to befriend people and lift up Jesus to them. Amen? Amen. Most Bible studies feature only a few exclusively on Jesus in the gospel. But brothers and sisters, he's got to spring out of the pages. Amen? He's got to do that. The lifting up Jesus, first nine lessons, speak about the gospel of Jesus and his love, and it touches hearts. I, didn't, I want to come back to my story with Kathy. After Bible study number, uh, number four, I knew God was on to something. Every week when we would do a weekly Bible study, I would just go before God and said, what do you have for me now? Week by week, God gave me each subject in a beautiful order. By the time we were finished with 29 Bible studies, Kathy was baptized. Amen. Praise God. And do you know, since then I've added one more, and these 30 lessons I have revamped and edited and have now, I use them exclusively when I give Bible studies. And this is not to tell you that I'm, great, I'm not a great Bible worker. I screw up all the time. But let me tell you, when you are lifting up Jesus to someone, 
There is power in that. Out of the 93 studies that I've given, 89 have been baptized. There is power in the lifting up of Jesus Christ. Amen? Wouldn't you love to have a set of Bible studies where the first nine is just about Jesus? And you don't have to be embarrassed or think that you're coming on too strong. You don't have to worry about that you're going to offend them. Because guess what? They're falling in love with Jesus, right? And then by the time, I want to tell you, they start asking about baptism before you even get to that Bible study, okay? It's amazing. It's like giving candy to them and watching their whole, their whole body chemistry just kind of melt and go, wow, they look at you like this amazing mentor, teacher, like, really? What else do you have to tell me? It's amazing. And when you are in a home, when you are giving Bible studies and you're lifting up Jesus, I want to tell you it's the most amazing thing. It's like, it's like the air is electrified all around you. You sense that all of heaven is there and you, see, you get a front row seat to see the Holy Spirit work up close and personal on their lives. Amen? Colleen, Colleen, raise your hand. Colleen, I've trained her to give Bible studies. Has it been a, a good experience? It's been a wonderful blessing. Amen. And this, this woman, now I'm very outgoing. Colleen is not, but guess what? She's already had a couple baptisms. Amen? And, and Cheryl, raise your hand, Cheryl. Cheryl has used these lessons. What do you think, Cheryl? Okay, amen. And Barbara, you've used these lessons too. What do you think? All right. Blessing to you too. I want to tell you, you don't have to be outgoing to give Bible studies. You can be as shy. I mean, there's one woman that I trained to give Bible studies. She's so shy, she doesn't even give you eye contact. And yet she's had baptisms. Amen. Because it doesn't, it's not about you. It's about him. Amen. Now, I want to tell you how I knew God was leading. People would come up to me and say, can I translate this into Russian? Can I translate this into Spanish? Can I translate this into Chinese? The completed translations are already Russian, Spanish, German, Chinese, Danish, and we now have kids' lessons. They're currently working on Portuguese, Icelandic, Hungarian, French, Italian, Braille, and today I just got a, an email asking for permission to translate into Bangladesh. Okay? Now these lessons are free. Is that good news? Amen. If you and if you did, you all receive that little brochure? Do you all have the little brochure? If you do, this website's on there, liftingupjesus.net. You can download and print them all off. But, but what I'm going to tell you to do, that is for you. And I'm going to show you today how you can use those Bible lessons and give them to people. Color Press has published the, these lessons with beautiful Nathan Green artwork. If I had my choice of anyone to illustrate these Bible lessons, I want to tell you, it would be Nathan Green. Because he does a beautiful job of lifting up Jesus. Amen? And so these Bible studies, I actually brought some. I have them at my booth, but I have brought some here for you to take a look at. Um, and then Spanish has just, been trans, has just been published. This is the entire 30 Lifting Up Jesus in Spanish. And the kids' lessons, look at the beautiful artwork in there. All Nathan Green all throughout, 16 lessons, the hows and whys of the Bible taken over through the adult lessons. There's 16 lessons in the kids. The first eight are how to know Jesus. Amen? Because do our kids need only to know doctrine? No, they need to know Jesus. They need to know how to be, you know, have a, a, a beautiful relationship with him. Because otherwise, what happens? By the time they're in college, they're gone. Amen? If they do not know Jesus personally, they will be gone. So, how do you find interests? How does that happen? What time is it? 
What time are we here till? What time? Okay, we got time. Okay. One-on-one. The greatest and most effective way the gospel will be taken to this world is is by one-on-one evangelism. If a gifted evangelist with an international reputation, let's say Mark Findlay, if he could win a thousand persons to Christ every night of the year, it would take him over 10,000 years to win the entire world for Christ, totally ignoring the population explosion. However, if one true disciple of Christ were able under God to win just one person each year and train that person to win one other person each year and so forth, it would take only 32 years to win the entire world for Christ. But wait a second. What if someone had two Bible cities? What if someone had three Bible cities? Do you see how that power of multiplication can just... How the Lord says it's the lay people that's going to finish the work? And let me tell you, when the lay people get excited about Jesus Christ and they start sharing with him, I want to tell you it's going to go like fire through stubble. Amen? How did the early church grow? God grew the early church through friendship evangelism. 78% of all baptisms in the church occur as a result of friendship evangelism. Jesus said in Mark 1.16, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Our job is to follow him. It's his job to make you a fisher of men. And I'm going to teach you this, that whatever time I have left, I'm going to teach you how to find an interest and how to let God lead in this, okay? So God wants to use you. In choosing men and women for his service, God does not ask whether they possess worldly wealth, learning, or eloquence. He asks, do they walk in such humility that I can teach them my way? Can I put my words into their lips? Will they represent me. So how does God lead? I read a book once when I was praying, asking God to teach me, and it was called Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. And this story just spoke volumes to me. And all of a sudden, God gave me this amazing insight on how he works in evangelism. Faith Baptist Church began to sense God leading us to an outreach ministry in the college campus. I had never done student work. Our church had never done student work. One denominational student ministries department recommended we begin with a Bible study in the dorms. For, one year, for over a year, we tried to start a Bible study in the dorms, and it did not work. One Sunday, I pulled our students together and said, this week, I want you to go to the campus and watch to see where God is working and join him. They asked me to explain. God had impressed on my heart these two scriptures. Romans 3, 10, and 11, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks after God. And John 6, no one can come to me, that is Jesus, unless the Father who sent me draws him. I went on to explain, according to these passages, no one is going to seek God on his own initiative. No one will ask after spiritual matters unless God is at work in his life. When you see someone seeking God or asking about spiritual matters, you are actually seeing God at work. I told our students, if someone starts asking you spiritual questions, Whatever else you have planned, don't do it. Cancel what you are doing. Go with that individual and look to see what God is doing there. That week, our students went out to see where God was at work and join him. On Wednesday, one of the girls reported, Oh, Pastor, a girl who has been in class with me for two years came to me after class today. She said, I think you might be a Christian. I need to talk to you. I remembered what you said. I had a class, but I missed it. We went to the cafeteria to talk. 
She said, 11 of us have been studying the Bible and none of us are Christians. Do you know someone who can lead us in a Bible study? As a result of that contact, we started three Bible study groups in the women's dorms and two in the men's dorms. For two years, we tried to do something for God and failed. For three days, we looked to see where God was working and joined him. What a difference. Watch to see where God is working and join him. Here's a biblical principle. In John 5, 17, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. And then the Jews said something to throw him back, but look, he comes right back to this point. Jesus gave them this answer, I tell you the truth, the son can do how much by himself? Nothing. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. You know, in Isaiah 50, Jesus said, he wakeneth me morning by morning, right? Who was it that led Jesus every day with divine appointments? The Father, right? Let me ask you a question. Do you ever remember in the, in, in the Bible where Jesus actually came up with this huge evangelistic program and then said, Father, here are my plans, please bless it. Ha- have you ever read that before? Why not? Because his job was to follow God's leading. Amen? Now, is there anything wrong with planning? And is there anything wrong with with public evangelistic meetings? No, absolutely not. But in your day-to-day activities, would would it make sense to pray and ask God to lead you just as Jesus asked the Father to lead him? Amen? When you do that, you will have people who will come in that he will put right in your path. And what I want to do is I want to share with you the 10 most receptive groups of people so that you can see for yourself what might be someone who is receptive so you can kind of put out your evangelistic feelers and look to see what God is already doing there. Because let me tell you, when you try to do evangelism because you think this person needs to be converted, you're going to mess it up. And not only that, it's going to be very unpleasant for you too. It's going to be very unpleasant for them too. And you're going to say, evangelism doesn't work, right? But if you let God lead, and you let him lead you to people who he's already working with, can you fail then? No, because God has already warmed them up, so to speak, for you. And so you just need to know how to see how God is working. Amen? In John 4.35, Jesus said, Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for the harvest. And we've heard this so many times. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Is he kidding me? Is the harvest really ripe? Are there a lot of people out there? Yes. The problem is we don't know what to do with them and we don't know how to approach them. But as I share with you this afternoon, I'm going to show, show you how to approach them and how to know when he's working. Amen? So the 10 most receptive groups of people. Number one, second-time visitors to your church. You know, I do this seminar quite a bit in Colorado, which is where I'm from, Denver. And the reason I say second-time visitors are we have a lot of people who come to Colorado because it's a beautiful place to visit, especially in the summertime. But if you have a visitor come to your church and especially the second time, do you think God is already working on that person's heart? Amen. Now, some of you come from really large churches, and it's a little difficult as, and let me tell you one thing. Do you know your greeters are your front-line people for evangelism in your church? 
The whole, think about this. When it's time for us to do evangelism, we spend hundreds and thousands of dollars in flyers and brochures, right? But when we're not in an evangelistic frame of mind and God's spirit is bringing someone to the church, do you know what we do? We virtually ignore them most of the time. That's what we do. It's, it's frustrating because God's trying to bring these people here and we don't know what to do with them. We, we're not quite sure how to handle it. You know, um, many of us come from large churches. And if you're a greeter at the front door and someone comes in and you're not quite sure if they're a guest or not, what are you afraid they're going to say if you say, oh, are, are, you, are, are you visiting here or are you a visitor? What are you afraid they're going to say? I've been a member here for 26 years, right? Aren't you afraid that they're going to say that? Well, yeah, of course. That's why you want to have the same greeters at the doors, okay? Because you avoid that problem. But let's say someone comes through the door, okay? And let me tell you, and let me just kind of explain what the different types of churches are. Hold on. Pretend you just didn't see that. Oh, did I miss something? Here we go. You want to talk? You, I'm going to show you, I'm going to tell you the four different types of churches, okay? There's the frosty church. They're very unwelcoming. You don't want to go there. There's the friendly church. They're friendly and they greet you, but they don't really care to get involved or know your name. Have you, do you know churches like that? Then there's the friends church. They get to know you and your name, but they don't really care about your spiritual needs. That's as far as it goes. Then there's the family church. They assimilate you like family. They care about you. They pray for you. What percentage do you think of the churches most Adventist churches fall into? What do you think? One, two, three, or four? Yeah, most, most of them are number two. They're friendly. Hey, how are you doing, brother? Good to see you. Okay, I did my duty. Right? We need to be a family church. When God brings someone through those doors, he has a plan for them. You know, I often talk about this story, but it's so true. Um, Many of you know Barbara Taylor, right? What a blessing she is to our church, amen? But when she was in that car accident and when she was lying on that hospital bed, her so-called Hollywood friends didn't come and visit her. And when she was lying on that bed, that song kept going through her mind over and over again, Jesus loves me, this I know. She and her sister... Um, grew up in foster care. And she had a Seventh-day Adventist aunt who would take her to cradle roll when she could. And as she was lying on that hospital bed, that song kept reverberating over and over and over. The doctor said she probably would never walk again with her one leg. But she said, God, if you heal me and I am able to walk out of this hospital, I promise I will visit a Seventh-day Adventist church. God healed her. She was able to walk out of that hospital. I'm going to take this for one minute. She, go, she shows up at the largest, one of the largest churches in Colorado. When you go to a church and you're not an Adventist and you show up in church, you're very nervous. You don't know what to expect. You walk through those doors trying to feel cool, trying to look cool and feeling everything else but. She walks through and there's a greeter. Greeter's talking to her friends. Da, 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 da. Barbara comes up and she says, good morning, happy Sabbath. Anyway, what I was saying is, blah, blah. okay, so there she is. She's standing there with a bulletin in her hand and doesn't know what to do. She finally finds her, you know, you don't know where the bathrooms are, you don't know where the drinking fountain is, you don't even know where the church is, you know? I mean, how would you like that, right? 
So she finally finds the, the, the sanctuary. She sits down in the back. The music begins. Tears flow. You know, the Holy Spirit's working on her heart. Throughout that whole service, no one looks at her. No one talks to her. No one touches her. No one smiles at her. Nothing. She walks out of there and she goes, okay, fine. I did my duty. I'm not going back. But Jesus can be very bossy sometimes, like I said. And so he was working on her heart. And she says, okay, fine, but I'm not going back to that church. She went back to another church, another large church in Denver. Again, took all of her strength, her nerve to go in that large church where all these people are. She doesn't know a soul. She walks in there. Again, the greeter's talking to her friends, blah, 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 blah. Oh, happy Sabbath. Anyway, different church, same scenario. So again, she has a bulletin, doesn't know what to do, finds the sanctuary, again, sits in the back. Again, the music starts. Again, tears flow through her, from her eyes. This time, however, a doctor, little old lady, a doctor's wife sees her from all the way on the other side of the room, does one of these things, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, all the way across to the other side. As she's crying and the music is still playing, she says, she pats her hand, she goes, it's okay, honey, it's going to be all right. And then she says, would you like me to introduce you to the pastor? Yes. The pastor gave her Bible studies. Of course, you know she was baptized. She is a phenomenal worker for the church today, amen, and for ASI. So what is it about us? What is it that, that, that does not allow us to reach out to those people who the Holy Spirit is bringing to us? Fear. We don't know what to do. Now, I'm not a big Bill Clinton fan, never was, but one thing he used to really do is he used to know how to make people feel really, really comfortable. He used to do one of these. How are you doing? You know, just that little oof. You know, if you're a woman, you'd say, how are you? You know, and so the first thing when someone walks in, isn't a warm smell and a, and a handshake, isn't that a great thing to do? And so as a greeter, we need to do that. And I like to have two greeters at the front door. Do you want to know why? Because when you talk to them and you engage them, and this is the first time in church, wouldn't it be nice to give them a little tour of your church? To show them where the Sabbath school rooms are, where the bathrooms are, where the little, if they have kids, where the, where, where the primary class is, where the sanctuary is. Wouldn't that be wonderful if you walked into a church and someone did that for you? And so when they come in, and I, I've never seen them before, so I'll say to them, it's so nice to meet you. I'm not sure if we've met before or not. And I'll say, my name is Karen, and that's okay. If they say we've met before, you can just say, oh, well, I should have known better or something like It's not a big deal. So, it's, gonna, it, it, so it's, it's two seconds of embarrassment. But look, it, it, the, the, if you don't say that and if you don't um, you know, address it and try to engage them, then they may never come back. And say, so let's just say it's the first time that you're here. What do you say to them? Oh, I'm so glad that you're here. What brings you here today? What brings you here today is a wonderful thing to ask them. Do you want to know why? Because it's an open-ended question. When you, you're going to be amazed at what they'll say. They might say something like, well, you know, I used to go to church and stopped going, but I just moved to the area and thought I'd give it a try. Or, yeah, a co-worker of mine's a Seventh-day Adventist, and she told me about that she really liked this church and thought I'd come and visit, you know. Say, well, we are so happy that you're here. Then we either have them, if you have a guest book or you have a card, have them sign it. Now think about this. What do we do with guest books? I mean, what are they just there for like, I don't know, decoration? You know, what do we really do with them? 
What I want you to do with them is to use it as, a, as kind of like a thermometer. If I come through the, your, the front door of your church and I sign my name, Karen Lewis, Castle Rock, Colorado, and I don't give a phone number, what is that telling you? I don't want a contact. But what happens if I'm like, Karen Lewis, you know, 6211 Trailhead Road, Highlands Ranch, Colorado, 80130, 303-688-2165. What is that telling you? Call me, right? <laughs> Do you know what? When our church in Franktown, Colorado began to get serious about doing evangelism and we started looking at our guest book, we were shocked. There was one family, young family, who came several times to visit and we never followed up on them. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? But we did. We did follow up on them. When I was a Bible worker for my Franktown church, the first thing I would do was always watch my front door. I remember one time I was in Chicago for Christmas, came back, it was, came back, it was beginning of January, and I looked in two weeks in a row while I was gone. There was a family. Not only did they write their entire address out, but they even wrote the, the names of the kids down. You know, I mean, what did that scream at me? They want to be contacted. The Spirit spoke so, so strongly to my heart that I didn't even think I wanted to wait till the next Sabbath. I called them. I said, hi, I'm Karen Lewis. I'm the Bible worker here. And I am so sorry that I missed you when you came to visit. You know, I, I was in Chicago visiting my family over the holidays. But I'm sure you have questions about the church that just attending wouldn't answer. And I'd love to schedule a get acquainted visit with you. You know, I can go over all the different ministries that we have and everything. And the woman's like, sure. Turns out she only lived two blocks away from Kathy, you know, the Taj Mahal Kathy. So this is a very affluent area. I made an appointment with them for that week. I went over there to talk to, talk to them, and I brought, and let me show you what I have here. Let's see, did I bring it? Mm. No, I don't think I brought it. Okay. If you write down SPIRE, S-P-I-R-E, resources, you will see that they have little welcome packets that you can uh, put things inside. And you can talk about um, all your different ministries, Bible studies, pathfinders, women's groups, socials. And that's a wonderful tool to have something to give to them for the get acquainted visit. So I went over there and I said, Spire SP. In fact, I think I might have it written down somewhere. Here it is, spireresources.com, visitor packets. If you, if you uh, Google them and go on that website, they will send you a complimentary visitor packet for your church, okay? So anyway, I went in there and I said, um, what's that? Oh, good, it's on the handout, never mind. Thank you. What time is it now? Oh, I don't really have time to tell this story. What is it? All right, all right, you talked me into it. I love telling stories. Okay, so I went over and knocked on the door, and the, it, was a, it was a mom and dad and two young kids. The dad was so excited that I was there. Hi, come on in. The woman went over there, Mary Ann, went over there to put the kids to bed. As I'm talking to Rob, I understand they had just moved from Houston to the Denver area. And I said, you have a gorgeous house here. And I said, and it's blue. I love blue. It's my favorite color. I said, I love it here. I said, what was it that, that made you decide to live in this area? He said, two criterion. Number one, that it was a half hour from my work. And number two, that it was within a five-mile radius of a Seventh Avenue church. And I said, oh, so did you grow up in the church? Oh, no, I'm not an Adventist. I said, oh, you're not? Well, Rob, let me ask you, how is it that that was so important to you that you be within a five-mile radius of a Seventh-day Adventist church? Wouldn't you want to ask that question? Of course, right? 
And he, and he went on to tell me the story. He said, my wife and I just recently had a pregnancy and we lost the baby at five months. I said, I am so sorry to hear that. He says, well, let me tell you. He says, prior to that, my wife's sister was working at the Berry and Springs um, bookstore and she was giving her Bible studies over the phone. And he said, and at that time, she kept wanting me to get, go to church, but he says, frankly, root canal surgery would have been more preferable. He said, but when she lost the baby, she became angry at God. He says, but funny, for me, it was just the opposite. It, it drew me to want to, 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 to explore who God was. He says, so I started listening to radio, people on the radio, and I started to, to, you know, um, to, to just kind of listen to them all the time. And one day when I'm in the bedroom listening to the radio, she comes up and she says, quit listening to those bubblegum preachers. If you're going to listen to anyone, listen to the ones from the Seventh-day Adventist Church. At least they have the truth, but I'm not interested. And she walked away. So he starts listening to Voice of Prophecy. He starts listening to Amazing Facts, right? Pretty soon, he wants to come to a Seventh-day Adventist church. This is when they made a, a pact, a deal. He said, honey, when we move to Denver, I want it to be a fresh start for us. Will you, are, will we, you, know, will you promise that we can come together and worship together at the Seventh-day Adventist church? Begrudgingly, she said yes. Now I understood why he was all happy I was there and she was not so sure, okay? So this is the environment I walked into. But you've got to know, when someone first moves to the area, they are lonely. They're looking for friendship, amen? And so as we're talking, she was a little standoffish, and I said, Mary Ann, I said, you know, we have a women's Bible study group that rotate at each other's homes, and we bring snacks. It's a lot of fun. Why don't you join us? What day? Oh, Tuesday. What time? About 10 o'clock in the morning. Honey, you can go to that. And she's giving him the evil eye. And I said, it's a lot of fun. I said, you know, you're getting, there's a lot of great women. You should come. At least try it a couple times. Well, okay, you know. So she came. We decided, let's go right back to number one of the Lifting Up Jesus Bible Studies, okay? We did number one. There were about five of us. We did it at Kathy's house, as a matter of fact. Well, she kind of liked the, you know, she loosened up a little bit. The second time, we, we went at someone else's house. Bible study, num- after Bible study number four, which is the supreme sacrifice, remember I said that's one that Kathy was crying at? After that one, it started affecting her. That next week, we did Bible study number five, what is faith? Because now when you see the love of God, you want to explore what a faith relationship with Jesus is all about, amen? After that Bible study, she said, Karen, I want to go to lunch with you. We went to lunch together, and she said, I have a question to ask you. When does it go from here to here? I said, Marianne, I can't tell you that. I said, only God can make it go from here to here. But I have to tell you, I know there's a plan. I know God is working. Your job is just to continue to cooperate with what God is leading you to. God's job is to put love for him in your heart. That's not your job. You can't produce that. And she's like, wow, okay. That was on a Wednesday. That next Sabbath after church, I don't know what her little, J, little six-year-old JJ did after church, but that kid went riding his bicycle, and I don't know how he did this, but he broke his arm. He shattered his arm. In fact, they said that he had sustained some nerve damage. They took him to Children's Hospital. She's over there at the hospital with him. I think her husband was out of town. She took him over there, and they told him, they told her that they were going to have to shove a steel rod up him, Okay. And that little kid was, and they said, we're going to give him something for the pain, but we're going to go and get some people. We're going to have to hold him down while we do this. 
She remembered that Bible study. That Bible study said that without, you know, that you need faith for God to work. Amen? Faith is, faith is kind of like, you know, a conduit that extracts God's power to work in your life. But what if you don't have faith? Are you stuck? And the answer is no. Remember the man with the demoniac son. It says he'd thrown, he's thrown him into fire ever since he was a child. But then he says to Jesus, if you can do something, and Jesus looks at him and raises one eyebrow and he says, if, if, and he says, you know, and then what does he say? That's right. He says, that's right. If you believe, right, all things are possible to him who believes. And what does he say? Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus was able to give him the faith necessary for him to work. So that was the Bible study we just finished on faith, right? That's in her mind. And she goes to J.J., she says, J.J., do you believe that if we pray that Jesus will help it not to hurt? And with a childlike faith, he looks up at her and he says, yes, Mama. And she says, well, I don't, so we're going to pray, you know. And she prays and she says, God, I don't believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. And she prayed very sincerely. And let me tell you, when those physicians came in and they held that little boy down and they put that steel rod in his arm, I want to tell you, it didn't hurt tears rolled down her face and she said I know that you work and I know you love my child and all of a sudden all this love came flooding in her heart for God I was out doing a Bible study I come home and this is what I heard on my phone Karen JJ fell down and he shattered his arm and they had to put a steel rod in and we prayed and I want to get baptized what? (laughs) you know I had no idea what she was talking about she was baptized in Kathy's pool she and her husband. It was a beautiful experience. How would I have ever had the privilege of working with them if I had not followed up through the front doors? Amen? We need training on this greeting. We need training. God's spirit is there to work. We need to be able to work uh, to cooperate with what he wants to do. Okay, so close friends and relatives of new converts is number two. When people come to the Lord... There's a change in them, and their friends and their neighbors see the change in their life. As a matter of fact, what we like to do is invite people to come, all of their family and friends, to a baptism. And in our church at Franktown, we like to be very celebratory. I'll talk to you about her in a minute. And what we like to do is we have a, we have a table in the foyer, and we, and we decorate it with flowers or balloons, and we put... Uh, we, we put uh, all, and everyone gives like a present, a little devotional book or whatever. And we have a cake. We ask them what their favorite cake is. And it says, welcome to the family. And after we cut it, we sing happy birthday to them because isn't it their spiritual birthday? And we have this beautiful book. It's called Welcome Your Church Family Album. It's from Color Press. And we give this to them. And it talks about how the church is organized and how to continue on in your relationship with Jesus and how um, about our publications and various ministries and about the early pioneers. And then what's, what's really cool is they have a glossary of terms in the back like what is a haystack? What is a vesper? What is a pathfinder? Is that, would that be helpful for them? Okay, and so in the beginning part of it, It's got blank pages where people can write their blessings and well wishes to them. They cherish this. It's a keepsake for them. When their friends and their family come to the celebration, 
I can't believe how many people will say, whoa, this is a loving church. And he says, how do I join this church? They're kind of half kidding, and I'm half not kidding. And I say, well, you should join us for Bible study. We have a lot of fun. We rotate at each other's houses. We bring snacks, right? It's a lot of fun, right? So family and friends, no, 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 no. You know, I'm going to tell you a story about Amy. I just feel impressed. Amy Reynolds, her father was a Seventh-day Adventist pastor. Her father and mother were in a very painful marriage. Her fa- they divorced before he died of brain cancer. The last time when she left home, she was 14 years old. She went to academy, and she said in her heart she'd never go back. She didn't know the gospel. She didn't know Jesus. Unfortunately, she knew the doctrines and the rules, too many rules, and not enough love. What can I say? There's a lot of people like that out in the world right now, aren't there, unfortunately? She went out in the world, and she went to discover America. She was out going out to parties and drinking, and that's when she met J.R. J.R. was a divorcee. He had a young son, and they got married. They moved out to Colorado, uh, south of uh, Castle Rock, in Monument, and they, bought, and they built, started building a, a mountain cabin. Her husband, J.R., was in construction, and he was agnostic. Wasn't quite sure. He thought maybe there was a God, but God really wasn't personal and active in your life, and don't even, you know, I'm not really interested. Well, Amy wasn't interested at all either. She was just wanting to go into the world, but all of a sudden, the spirit started wooing her after she had her little girl, Maddie, And she started listening to K-Love and different Christian radio stations. And she felt God drawing her more and more. Her mother came to visit one time from New England. And she said just to be nice, she'd take her to church one day. So she went to the Littleton Seventh-day Adventist Church. And that's where she met our pastor, um, our former pastor, Bayard Parks. And he said, Amy, you should come and visit our church. It's a lot closer. And she said, oh, sure, sure. And she thought, I'm never going to. One Sabbath, she, she got up early and she couldn't go back to sleep. She said it was like God was tugging at her heart. You need to go to church. You need to go to church. You need to go to church. Finally, she's like, all right. She got up and she went to church. She went to the Franktown Church. She walked in. And I was, not, I was busy doing something else. I didn't greet her that morning. But as I was sitting in the pews, I saw someone in the back. People often, when they come into the church, they'll sit in the back. And you know the Spirit's working because she started crying during the song service too. I went back to her and I said, Hi, I'm so sorry that I missed you when you came in earlier. My name is Karen. I'm the Bible worker here. And she says, Oh, you're the one. And I said, I'm not sure if that's good or not. And she says, Oh, no, your pastor told me about you. And I said, Really? She says, Yeah. She says, I have some questions about the Bible. I says, Do you really? And she said, Yeah, I do. And I said, Well, you know, I don't know if, you, you know if you're available at all during the day, but I'd love to schedule a get acquainted visit with you. I, you know, I said, we have a great visitor's packet that I can give you. She goes, that'd be great. So I went up. I'll be honest with you, I'm afraid of heights. And she lives way up in a steep mountain. So she was nice enough to say, um, I'll meet you at the bottom and I'll take you up. Thank you. So I went up there. She did have a lot of questions. We began the Lifting Up Jesus Bible study. Week after week, She didn't understand that faith is a gift that God gives us, that God is not angry at us for our sins, that he's not holding our sins against us, but that he's reconciled the world to himself through Christ. Amen? She learned that repentance is a gift that, that comes from God. And week after week, as we would give these, as we would do these Bible studies together, 
Her heart just started warming more and more for God. Soon she said, I'd like to pray for JR, but I'm afraid. I said, why are you afraid? She says, because I'm afraid of what God would do. And I said, excuse me? She says, yeah, I don't know what will happen if I pray and, and put him in God's hands. And I said, what kind of a God do you think we have? I said, have you been learning that God is love? She goes, oh, yeah. And I said, let me ask you, do you think that God loves JR more than you do? And she said, yes. And I said, would God do anything that would harm JR? And she says, no, I guess not. I said, you need to surrender him up to, to him and watch God work. Because right there she was praying that, 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 that he would come to know God and all this stuff, but she wasn't willing to surrender him into his hands. Do you know what I'm saying? God cannot work unless you totally relinquish people to him. Do you know that? When she finally came to the point after four weeks... And she said, I'm ready to relinquish him completely in God's hands. I said, now God will work. It didn't take God long to work. That week, he was working on a huge project, American Furniture Warehouse. He was the the, the building project manager for this huge warehouse uh, that they were building. On the way over there that morning, he got into a a head-on collision on I-25. He was in a truck. He rolled over six times. He was suspended upside down. The only thing that was holding him was his seatbelt. Jaws of life had to come and cut him out. He, that, that, that truck was so badly crumpled, they couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe that he was not seriously hurt. When he called her, she said he was as calm as could be. He called her. She, she was hysterical. <laughs> but, but he was fine. When he got out of there, you know what he said? He said, there is a God. And she says, why do you say that? He says, just this morning when I was in the bathroom, I prayed and said, God, if you are really alive, I want you to prove it to me. That day when he was in that car accident and when he was suspended upside down, just using those with the seatbelts, he said there was someone in the car with him that gave him peace. He knew it was either God or an angel. And they, and, and they, and, and they whispered to him, you're going to be fine. And when he walked out of there, he said, I I, got to go to church. I got to go to church, you know. JR was baptized along with Amy. Amy now works in northern New England. She's a Bible worker. What do you think she uses? Lifting up Jesus' Bible studies, amen? There is power in the exaltation of the cross of Christ, amen? Ay, 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 I have so much to teach you. Okay, people going through a divorce. Those who feel the need for a recovery program. First-time parents. Why first-time parents? Hey, these young people might have left the church, but when they have kids, they want to recreate what they grew up with. Amen? All of these people will have that void in their life. What else? Terminally ill in their families. Couple with major marriage problems. Parents with problem children. Recently unemployed are those with major financial problems, former Adventists. I mean, all of these are in the top 10 receptive groups of people. I don't have time to tell that story. How did the early disciples come to Christ? In Desire of Ages 138, leaving John, that is John the Baptist, they went to seek Jesus. One of the two was Andrew, the brother of Simon. The other was John the Evangelist. These were Christ's first disciples, Moved by an irresistible what? Impulse, they follow Jesus. An irresistible impulse. I want you to think about this. Have you ever, in your life, ever felt an impulse to talk to a complete stranger? Have you ever? 
And many times we would squelch it because we're like, that's weird. I don't really know him, right? Do you know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit working on your heart, drawing you to someone, okay? How did I know this? Well, because of a couple experiences. I'll just tell you one. There, we have a Maggiano's restaurant. Um, I don't know if you have them here in, in Ohio. But we were there with another couple, and, and uh, we went there to eat family style, so you're there for hours, you know. And so when we were in that restaurant, we were talking about that movie. Remember that Mill Gibson movie, The Passion of the Christ? Remember that? We were talking about that movie. And the waitress who was waiting on us overheard, overheard our conversation as she was seating us, and she goes, oh, yeah, I can't wait to see that movie. And I looked at her, you know, she was wearing a cross necklace, and I thought, oh, she's a Christian, that's nice, you know, but she was a little embarrassed because she had overheard, like, eavesdropped on our conversation, we didn't care. But the weirdest thing is, is as our, as our evening is progressing, I'm hearing in my head, ask her about her faith. I'm like, are you kidding me? She's my waitress. Ask her about her faith. God, I'm in a restaurant. Ask her about her faith. Okay, fine. After the third time, I said, okay, fine. You want to make a fool of me? Fine, you're going to have to give me words to speak. Now, when I say that, I want to tell you, every single time I've been obedient to God, never once has he made me appear to look stupid or foolish. It's always been an amazing, amazing encounter. So I said, okay, Lord, I will speak to her, but you have to give me words to speak because I don't know what to say. She comes back and she says, is there anything else that you need? And now she was the, she was the best waitress I ever remember having. And so I was, very, uh, I was very honest when I said, no, are you kidding me? You're a great waitress. You're a Christian. What more do we want? She gets really quiet. She comes up to the table and she goes, you know, I've been reading my Bible. And I've been going, my husband's been bringing me to his church. I've been going to my husband's church. But I don't know, somehow I feel it's not the right church I'm supposed to be at. And the hairs on my arms are just standing straight up. And the other couple that we're with says, well, where do you live? And she says, well, I live in Aurora. Get out. We live in Aurora. Really? Where? And they're talking. And I'm like, well, oh, okay, Lord, now, now, now what do you want me to do? Do you want me to ask her if I want personal Bible studies, if she wants personal Bible? But I'm stranger danger. She doesn't know who I am. So that probably wouldn't work. But wait a second. She lives really close to Kelly. Kelly. And maybe a group setting would be better, you know? That would be maybe less intimidating. Well, you know, she's starting a women's Bible study group in a, in a, in a pretty soon. Why don't you come and join us? And Kelly looks at me and she goes, what? And I kicked her under the table. And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, right. And she's looking at me like, what? And so, and then the woman says, well, you know, I think I would be interested in that. She says, when is it? She says, um, and, and then she says, well, you know, actually, she says, um, um, is it going to be starting pretty soon? She said, because I'm going to be going to California to visit my daughter, Anita, and I'll be gone for two weeks. That's when we're starting it. She's like, wow. She says, well, let me give you my business card. And so, you know, I said, that's great. I'll give you a call, you know, uh, tomorrow. And she's like, that's great. She gives me her business card. The next, oh, and I told my husband, you better make sure you leave her a good tip, okay? Because my husband's very frugal, shall we say. <laughs> so the next day, I call Kelly, and we pray on the phone together. And then I call her. And we set it up for Mondays, and I just remember this because she had given me a devotional book now, or a journal, and she said she looks forward to Mondays, you know. So we made it for Mondays at 10 o'clock. She came to our house. There were just the three of us, and we went through the... Now, she had been and born... She was born in a, in a Baptist family, and she had been going to church her whole life. But do you know she did not understand the gospel? You would be shocked at how many Christians do not understand the gospel. It's almost like, it's almost like 
they have to connect all the dots to finally see Jesus and all his beauty. And once they do, they surrender their lives. They just, it's amazing. You know, it's like a, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. If some, of those, if some of those integral pieces are missing, you can't see Jesus and all his beauty. Do you know what I'm saying? So don't ever skip the first nine. Don't ever, ever, ever go from the very beginning. She, didn't, she never understood how Jesus works with repentance, and she didn't understand how Jesus works with surrender. Do you know, after we were about 15 Bible lessons in, she tells me, you know what's amazing that day that I met you in the restaurant? And I said, what do you mean? She said, you have no way of knowing this, but two days before I met you, I prayed and asked God to lead me to a women's Bible study group. How would I have ever known that? How? And what would have happened if I would have squelched it? What would have happened, right? She was baptized, but that's not all. Her grandson was baptized, but that's not all. Her husband was baptized, but that's not all. Her son was baptized. Amen? God is always putting people in your path. He is. The problem is we, don't, we, we weren't able to connect it with his leading and his spirit, right? So how do you know that God is leading? Do you know that each one of you have a sphere of influence, that you, are, you have people in your path that you see every day, coworkers, neighbors, friends, in-laws, daughters-in-laws, sons and, and daughters, amazing stuff, Barbara, are you still here? Okay, quickly. I lead, I lead people through a prayer. And I say, do you know if you were to pray and ask God to reveal to you who it is in your sphere of influence who is open and seeking, 50 to 75% of you will have a name or a face come to mind. And then if you say to them, I'm taking a class on how to give Bible studies, I'm a little nervous, I need someone to practice on, can I practice on you? 92% say yes. That happened to Barbara. You want to tell him real quick? Get up here. Okay. My, my son's girlfriend uh, it doesn't know the Lord. And so I just took Karen's advice, and I, I, I said to her, you know, I, I, I love her to start with, okay? And she knows that. She knows I love her. And she said, and I said to her, would you, um, I need to do Bible studies. I need to practice. Could I practice on you? And she said, sure. You know, and I was like, I was very shocked that she said yes. But we've been doing them, and uh, hey, pray for her. Her name is Kelly. So, um, you know, we've been doing them, and, and the Lord has been blessing. So I never thought it would work, but she's right. This stuff does work. So, Amen, amen, amen. So guess what? We're five minutes over. Do you care? No. Yeah, I don't care either. <laughs> what we're going to do now is we're going to pray and ask the Lord of the harvest to reveal to each one of you who it is in your sphere of influence who he is already working with. Is that exciting? 50 to 75% of you will have a face or a name come to mind. For those of you who don't right away, oftentimes he'll reveal it the day or the next day. Keep praying. Then... What will happen? In fact, let me read something real quick to you. Here's a testimony, and, and it is kind of a cool one, so I do, I do want to read this one to you. I get so excited, sorry. Uh, 
Okay. Dear Miss Lewis, shortly after I came back from the retreat you gave, the, soul, the Lord sent me a soul searching for him. And I started studying with her on Wednesday evenings in my home around my dining room table. This past Wednesday, we started Lesson 25. I have been so blessed to see that everything you said would happen has happened. I rejoice to see what God is doing in her life and how in love she is with Jesus. I also started a class on Monday evening since this is my day off from work. Eight to nine of us meet around the table each week. Last week, we studied Lesson 9. Then after each study session, we gather around in the kitchen for soup and bread. They really look forward to this time also. One person who I invited was not able to come on Mondays because of scheduling problems, so I I announced I would meet with her, and anyone who wanted lessons on Saturday evening at 5 will praise God. Eight people are attending that class. God is amazing. I am blessed. I just said, here I am, Lord, and he sends me. Truly, she says, the fields are white. Besides these classes, another couple has started coming on Thursday. To God be the glory for such great and inspired resources. I could go on praising God, but I have to go to bed, have to get up early in the morning. Thanks again, and may God continue to bless you. Here's a woman who's never given Bible studies before, and she's got almost 20 people she's studying with. Praise God, amen? And let me tell you, the people who you think need Jesus are often the people who don't, and the people who you would never expect. So there may be surprises. But here's the deal. We've been in church, most of us, our whole lives. And we have been content to be in that boat. And Jesus is on the water, and he's got his hand extended to you, and he said, I am ready to, are you ready to take my hand? And I'm, are you ready to walk on that water that I have always ordained for you to work? Because my burden is easy, and it's light. Amen? And so I would like to end with a prayer. Lord in heaven, Lord, we know that you are always at your work to this very day. You are constantly drawing people to Jesus. Lord, you are lifting through your heavenly influences your son to the world as the only way of salvation. And Lord, I know that there are people here that you brought for such a time as this. I know, Lord, that there are people and they have people within their lives that you are working with. Father, I just praise you for the work that you do and for how it is, Lord, that you want us to work in tandem with you, to cooperate with you for the great work that you have called because you know what a blessing and a rest for our souls it is when we enter into your rest and into your burden and into your work. And so, Lord, help us to be faithful and obedient stewards. I ask, Lord, that as in the quietness of this time, we know that there are people, could be coworkers, could be neighbors, could be uh, people down the street, could be family members. Lord, whoever it is, I just pray that you would reveal to each one who it is in their um, circle of friends and relatives, Lord, who you are already working with, who you are already plowing the, the, the ground of their hearts so that all we need to do is cooperate with you, Lord. And so in the quietness of these next few minutes, Lord, I ask for you to talk to us and speak to our hearts right now. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your son. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for your spirit. And all God's people said, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI. 
Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.